Welcome back, everyone, to Marketing Meets Web3. This is the second conversation in a four-part series about Web3 and loyalty marketing. In the first conversation, we introduced the series by covering some foundational Web3 concepts and discuss the opportunities for Web3 to enhance loyalty marketing. Alberto, give us a preview of the conversation ahead. Right. Yes. So in this episode, we focus on customer insights from Drew Bitzler from Holder, where they are rethinking CRMs with Web3 enabled insights. During this conversation, we delve into how Web3 impacts the results of a company's marketing efforts and offers a new path to customer data insights. We'll talk about privacy-focused data analysis, transparent analytics, and the impact on more personalized marketing strategies. So that's how we do it. Drew Bichler, Nick Casares, uh, welcome both of you to Marketing Meets Web3 podcast. Thanks, Alberto. Glad to be here. So glad to be here. Excited for this. Um, the, um, the audience has had a chance to hear who Nick Casares is, but uh, they may want to hear from you, Drew, uh, who you are and what your work has been. So if you want to give a quick intro, that would be awesome. Yeah, happy to. Uh, hello, everybody. My name is Drew Beachler. I am the CEO and co-founder at Holder. We are a CRM and customer engagement platform for Web3 brands and creators. Uh, I've spent a decade or so in marketing. I'm a marketer by trade, digital marketing. Uh, started my career at Exact Target and Salesforce. And then I spent the last, I don't know, seven or so years uh, building and running marketing teams at startups as part of a venture studio uh, called High Alpha. And so took the plunge a little over a year ago. So we're a little over a year old still in startup mode and super excited to be here and be talking about all things uh, Web3 marketing and, uh, and kind of loyalty. Thank you. That's the reason why we had you here. And uh, it would be awesome to start this conversation about uh, Web3 loyalty for companies and brands maybe going, uh, uh, going for the advantages. So what are, in your opinion, uh, Drew, the advantages that the Web3 offers for businesses in terms of uh, reshaping their membership models. Yeah, I think, you know, um, and every time I think around uh, Web3 in general, I think kind of I go back to like first principles almost around this is built on a blockchain and kind of what are like the valuable uh, kind of differentiators around a blockchain because really a blockchain is just a database. And so what's more valuable for your customer data to live you know, on the Ethereum blockchain versus on an internal, you know, database. And so you know, I go back to kind of the core tenets around blockchains, which are around kind of ownership, uh, trust, uh, transparency, kind of immutability, this idea of like the public, uh, you know, immutable ledger. And I think kind of when you take all of those core tenets and you apply them then to marketing and kind of membership and loyalty, um, that's what kind of I think is kind of the core advantages and kind of differentiators that Web3 offers that um, may not be either as easily applied in kind of the traditional Web2 world or may not even be kind of um, applicable at all in the Web2 world. And so that's when I think around businesses and they think around how do we make, um, how do you focus on ownership uh, with our customers? How do we focus on this kind of idea around transparency and kind of, um, you know, I think data privacy uh, is kind of a big buzzword right now with consumers and kind of more and more consumers i don't have the stat off my off the top of my head but like it's something like 75 percent of consumers um desire more kind of privacy in their data more control kind of over their data and some of these kind of aspects where 
Web3 makes a lot of that, especially it can make it kind of under the hood, just part of the program, you know, and it's kind of just kind of part of the experience. And so I think because of that, it provides, you know, 10x better potential for some 10x better kind of consumer experiences that are really, really novel and unique and focused around ownership and transparency. And so that's when I think around kind of the advantages. And I think a lot of times we have to think about like, how is this better than the old kind of way? And I kind of, I always start a lot with, um, why is this database we're building on, you know, i.e. a blockchain, um, what makes it different or unique? Um, and in some ways, you know, better in some ways, kind of more challenging than traditional databases. And so that's where kind of I go back to a lot of this, like kind of it's focused on ownership, it's focused on transparency, um, immutability, kind of the trust, uh, the trustless nature of, of the system that it's built on. We're going to drill in some of these aspects, uh, I guess, as the conversation goes. But before we get um, deeper into it, I would like maybe, Nick, for you to to give an intro introduction of a term that I think comes um, or, or is used a lot in uh, Web3 and in blockchain, which is um, tokenization. I think it's going to help to to explain what this term means, because I think we're going to use it a lot and uh, how this tokenization could uh, also help businesses that may be, may be looking into enhancing their marketing or business models. Yeah, absolutely. So tokenization, it's one of those buzzwords that gets thrown around in the industry. And I think uh, it, it's slightly technical. I think it's also been sort of financialized um, by the crypto side of this industry. And so people kind of, uh, they conflate that with, with what the core of this, this word actually means. And so when we talk about tokenization, we're talking about taking any kind of asset be it financial, be it a digital asset, a physical asset, and turning that into something that can be recognized and authenticated on a blockchain. And so from that perspective, tokenization is uh, similar to when we got into desktop publishing years and years and years ago, and people started creating digital uh, publishing, there was this idea of digitization. So you would take an analog, uh, something like a, a photo or a piece of paper, and you would put that into a scanner. And now you turn that into a digital file that can now be manipulated. It can be used in Photoshop. It can be added to an email. It can be sent across the internet. We're talking about the same type of concept with tokenization. So tokenization is taking any asset, turning it into something that can be recognized, traded, and valued on a public blockchain. Yes. How do you think, maybe, uh, yeah, maybe Drew, how do you think... Um, this tokenization, uh, what it implies, how can it help um, companies or businesses with their marketing and uh, business models? Yeah, I think, Nick, you kind of nailed it. I think a lot of the the value or the interesting thing is around this, like, it's not just kind of a digital good. Because when we, when we did kind of shift to, you know, digitization, um, the ability then to also, like, you know, you start to get into kind of right-click, save meme territory here, but right. uh, the ability to copy and paste a file and kind of the provenance of that file and the kind of direct ownership of that file um, could not be kind of traced. Since that's where you had the rise of, you know, everything from Napster to the Pirate Bay and things like that, where um, kind of giving the digitization of all these files and kind of music and artwork and you know uh, media in particular. Um, just became kind of uh, all it was. It was so easy to access, kind of through some of these um, through some of these platforms. And I think kind of the, the unique thing around tokenization is like it's all um, digitally verifiable ownership of that good. You know, so like it is on this again. Back to kind of uh, kind of first principles. It's on this 
uh, immutable public ledger on the blockchain that shows you know who owns this asset and when did they own it and kind of what when did they purchase it for and here's the timestamp and the token uh, and the transaction you know hash and everything and so I think that's where like back to this idea of like you have true ownership of like digital goods where in the past you were always kind of relying on even like the ownership of any digital good was still kind of uh, governed by some other body you know what I mean um, even when I think of my bank account, you know, that I have digital goods in my Chase bank account, meaning like the balance of, you know, my, my bank account. And honestly, like Chase is the governing body saying, you know, what is kind of displaying on the back end and their kind of digital record of how much money is in my account. Um, and instead, we're kind of moving just to a world where uh, that's completely kind of open and transparent and kind of verifiable that, you know, this asset, we don't need kind of a governing body, but it's just actually the blockchain itself. And so back to like, kind of what does this mean for brands? And I think that's kind of maybe like, it's it's hopefully it's it's interesting to kind of start at a lot of these, like maybe a little more kind of technical or kind of base level of like, why is this interesting? But I think to kind of bring it back to like, why is this interesting for brands? I think the idea around our customers can now own like verifiable, you know, digital goods. Our customers can engage with us in a way that is, um, you know, has true kind of ownership and transparency at the forefront. And I think that's where kind of it starts to create a lot of these really unique um, models and campaigns and programs. And I think our minds, you know, it's always tough with a new uh, technology stack and kind of innovation to kind of not just take, you know, what we saw in the previous generation and kind of apply it into this kind of new technology. So I think where our minds tend to go a lot is around, you know, membership models and loyalty points and, um, you know, businesses that were already selling digital goods, uh, like a magazine or a subscription or things like that. And so I think kind of our minds go a lot to, there's lots of, you know, or tickets is a great example as well. There's lots of kind of easy parallels of, you know, there's a physical item, you know, of a ticket that I purchased and that has kind of provenance. Um, it has a unique, you know, uh, barcode or ID on it. Uh, it is owned by, you know, my account. Um, and how do you kind of apply that on in a Web3 way? Um, there's lots of kind of parallels there. And that's where kind of mine goes to is like, how can these brands use this technology to kind of build more of a ownership first model around kind of the assets that they're launching. And so those are some of kind of, I think the early, you know, campaigns and kind of things that'll drive much more kind of mass, I think adoption around consumers and kind of brands leveraging into their existing, existing kind of databases or existing uh, user bases. And can I chip in on one aspect of that, that I, I think you, you really tapped into Drew, which is this idea that we're giving customers the ability to own things. And I think, as marketers, we should be thinking beyond goods, right? This is beyond digital goods. This is beyond physical goods. Our customers' interaction with us, with our business, is actually something that can be owned now. So when we talk about membership and loyalty programs and we talk about letting people take their loyalty points outside of our ecosystem or we talk about letting them flex their status as a silver member in a way that can be recognized on a blockchain, that's actually allowing the customer to take something that they own. Really, it's their interaction and their customer history with us. Um, that is part of our relationship with them. But it's also a way for them to, to prove that they are a 
quote unquote good customer, right? Or that they have been a customer for a particular brand, which may be an interesting way for another marketer to have a conversation with that customer, offer them something more interesting, more compelling, um, uh, you know, position a product differently. So I think going beyond just items and thinking about what is the interaction history of the customer and how that can now be owned on the blockchain is really going to open some doors and some new potential for creating really compelling and deeper customer relationships. We've talked about um, this um, ownership of uh, assets by by the user and of course the value that this brings to the user the um, the user angle is going to be um, covered in the next episode of this of this series but of course this um, this the fact that the users own this uh, creates a piece of data creates information and um, as you, you you have explained this can come in the form or, or thanks to the tokenization of these uh, pieces of information so how can um, how can this uh, this data help companies? How does this uh, help with the data insights that, um, that that companies gather, of course, to offer better better services to their users? Yeah, I'm happy to kind of jump in, and then Nick, feel free to take it from here. But the um, where my mind goes, and this is kind of what brought me into Web three a lot from the beginning, is my background in digital marketing. Um, I grew up, you know, as Google Analytics was taking off the idea of kind of digital analytics, performance marketing, um, you know, digital advertising and all of this. That was kind of where I cut my teeth in a lot of um, my early kind of marketing career. And just kind of watching this explosion and kind of getting to, you know, the end of the the 20 teens uh, and just kind of starting to feel personally like we were kind of in an inevitable race to the bottom as marketers and digital marketers for like, how do I optimize my Facebook ad campaign. And so I was kind of feeling this just um, a little lack of innovation around kind of marketing technology for quite some time. And then when I saw kind of Web3 and NFTs start to explode, it really captivated me, particularly around kind of the data side of things. So for decades, you know, since the Mad Men era, we've been looking at how do I produce a marketing campaign or an advertising campaign based on a lot of these kind of broad demographic, you know, guesses around you know i am a white male in my 30s that lives in the midwest and so here's kind of the profiles of things i might like to buy and and even then in kind of the digital age we had kind of the advent of cookies and tracking me all over the internet and so now knowing like uh i might have some of those demographic pieces of data through a handful of different data providers and things like that um, but also I know that I've been on these handful of pages, you know what I mean? And I've been searching for these things on Google or I've clicked this link um, and still kind of trying to guess at purchase behavior and kind of intent based on kind of what um, the activities I've been kind of taking with my digital profile. And over the last, you know, five years or since or so, since the advent, especially of GDPR, we've seen kind of really the death of the cookie from GDPR, CCPA, kind of Apple privacy, um, kind of ask app not to to track kind of stuff. Um, this has kind of just completely shifted, I think, kind of the marketer's world around data and kind of customer data. And so looking at kind of Web3, it's really interesting where now the end consumer really kind of owns more of the keys and kind of ownership around the data around that wallet. And so kind of your wallet lives on a blockchain. This blockchain today, as of today, until kind of zero knowledge proofs kind of become more prevalent, 
um, this is all kind of public. So you can look at drewbeachler.eth and you can see every transaction I've had with that wallet address, all of the NFTs that I own, all of the Ethereum that I own in that wallet. And it's like an incredible look at someone's actual purchase behavior and intent and kind of transaction history. And so I think from a marketer and from a brand perspective, um, there's so much more value in that. And that person may be completely anonymous, you know, even, but there's so much more value in that ability to see like, well, what are they actually interested in? What are they purchasing? Where do their kind of interests lie? Rather than kind of relying, I think, on kind of the the previous model from a marketing kind of customer data and analytics perspective of just like what pages are someone visiting and, um, you know, kind of broad kind of demographic profiles. And so when I think of kind of customer data insights, when I think of kind of Web3 analytics around a wallet address, I think there's so much opportunity for brands to use that to craft an even more compelling uh, and personalized customer experience experience with their customers. And I think we'll get into this a little bit later that obviously this brings up a few more kind of privacy implement. Obviously this brings up a few more kind of privacy implications at least um, related to all of this. And I think kind of there's some interesting things there uh, to also talk about, which we will, but in kind of a nutshell, that's where I think kind of there's a lot of value when I think of analytics and this opportunity with the death of the cookie and kind of the rise of, um, you know, really it's first party, but even kind of zero party data around the actual customer themselves. And when they're connecting their wallet to your site, um, you know, you're starting to kind of get a glimpse into their digital identity really in, in a in a way that we've never been able to see before. I, I completely agree with your, your perspective, Drew. I, I think, you know, if I could add anything, it would be that we are very early as an industry. And I think that the technology and the usage of the technology is going to mature uh, significantly, exponentially in the coming years. And I really do see a future where we can get rid of some of the complexity and things, concepts like wallets will kind of fade into the background. But what won't fade into the background is the idea that people will be collecting uh, their activity history across everything that they do, whether it's browsing the internet or purchasing things, and they'll be able to selectively share that with marketers. And so I might have five different profiles or 50 different profiles as a person that represent all aspects of my life. One could be financial, one could be my hobbies and interests, one could be for uh, kids in school, you know, and uh, everything that I do then is connected to a profile, which I can connect to marketers, businesses that are willing to provide value in exchange for that data. Again, Drew, to your point, to, to really start backwards from the intent instead of trying to guess our way there. I, I loved the death of the cookies um, sentence. <laughs> Nothing against cookies, but uh, yeah, uh, it was it was a good sentence. And I think when we go over some examples later, I think it's going to be clear how how the the death of uh, this way of doing marketing and the, the potential of this new way of doing marketing uh, brings to the to the forefront. Uh, but before we get there, I, I wanted to to cover a couple of more, a couple more aspects. One of them was already pointed out by by Drew, but um, the, the privacy one. But one one more aspect that I think also Drew uh, hinted at was um, the the trust between uh, customers and uh, and businesses, and um, what happens uh, or, or how can Web three help improve this trust about how this information gathered from the customer is used then uh, uh, by the business. Yeah, and I think um, a good comparison is back to kind of web two cookies as well. So I think of, um, you know, when I go to, you know, acmeanvil.com 
Um, maybe I got there from an Instagram ad or some other kind of ad that I clicked on. You know, I'm buying something from their e-commerce store. I really have no idea, you know, and, and I don't know, you might be able to, you can look into your kind of cash and things like that, but I really have no idea like what all data is included on that cookie, you know, that followed me to that website. I have no idea, you know, how I'm being kind of followed across uh, the internet and kind of what data when I am, you know, putting in my email address and purchasing something is actually being tied back to that kind of user. And I think the biggest thing with Web3 that I think is really interesting and um, powerful, and Nick, you touched on this, is that uh, there's still a lot of data that I'm sharing with a brand when I buy their NFT or, you know, connect my wallet to their website, like probably even maybe even more so than like a cookie, because it's actual, you know, it's like my entire credit card history report, essentially, uh, that I'm giving to this brand when I connect a wallet. But it is fully transparent. And um, the kind of trust that exists there is at a wholly different level because it's not this kind of black box of like, I have no idea kind of what data you have on me, but it's very clear. I'm connecting, you know, wallet A and I know everything that's in this wallet and you're going to get kind of my entire transaction history on that wallet. And I know what's not tied to it. And so if I don't want, you know, that wallet um, tied to your brand, I might have another, you know, personality or kind of profile essentially with a different wallet that I might connect to your brand instead. And kind of this idea of like, I have almost different um, profiles of myself that I connect to brands. And it's kind of, I have this like transparent nature in terms of, I know what I'm sharing and kind of giving up. And like, this is the view or the lens that I want, you know, Nike or Adidas or, you know, brand X, Y, or Z to have into uh, me as their customer and consumer um, that is just kind of at a at a level of control that we haven't quite had uh, in kind of the Web2 internet era. And so that's when I think kind of that at least builds a little more trust and in, in, uh, specifically around kind of how this data is being used, what data am I sharing? And I think that that kind of overall kind of builds for a really um, unique kind of place in the future around kind of data privacy and kind of customer data control. Do you have anything to add in there, Nick? Um, I, I, I agree. You know, we're entering an era where customers are going to have more control over their data set. They're going to have more choice as to which data sets they connect for which benefit. And I think as marketers, you know, the challenge is going to be how do we embrace that instead of run away from it? You know, if you think back to the early days of social media, there was a lot of hesitation within businesses to be active on social media because, you know, what if our customers talk badly about us? What if uh, information leaks out to the Internet and we don't want that out there? And there was this real resistance to want to put anything out there that, that couldn't be controlled by the company. Uh, and I think we have to go through that same learning curve with on-chain data and really embrace that this is an opportunity. This is not, uh, it's not a risk. It's an opportunity for us. And, you know, of course there are privacy issues that we need to solve for and, you know, the experience has to get better, but I think playing the long game here and really thinking, uh, strategically and thoughtfully about how we approach this from a data perspective is going to play to marketers favor. Can, can can you, Drew, maybe share a comment about these privacy implications for the marketer? Because uh, as uh, you've hinted at, and Nick, uh, just now, I think this, this could be a different um, situation for them. And I wondered about uh, these this privacy implications or what do they imply? 
Yeah, and I think we're we're living in a world, you know, recording this in August of 2023, and I think we're living in a world where um, there's still not there's still not a lot of clarity, and um and that and that's been challenging, especially for a lot of brands that are probably very interested in this space and want to kind of um, launch campaigns and programs and kind of they're standing on the sidelines, kind of looking at like, well, our legal and compliance team is not really sure is a wallet address PII information or not, and how do we you know store and secure and what's the governance around that to kind of be GDPR compliant. And so I think there's a lot of challenges still there. And I think we will see that over the coming, uh, you know, months and years become more clear, but the stance at least that, that I and our team, at least at Holder are kind of taking is, um, treating a lot of wallet data, especially if it's tied to any kind of PII, just like any other kind of GDPR, um, and CCPA related data. And so, um, how you get consent for that data, how you collect consent and store consent. And um, now, you know, with with things like XMTP and others, like we can actually send messages directly to wallets as well. So treating that like consent to message a wallet, very similar to how you do with consent to email someone. Um, and so I think kind of we're just trying to take the approach that, you know, we've seen uh, email grow up, we've seen text messaging grow up from like a messaging and and communication perspective and data and, uh, and kind of trying to apply a lot of the, the lessons that were probably learned, um, from, you know, can spam and everything like that. Um, trying to take those and kind of apply them in the, at the forefront and kind of almost self-regulate and kind of treat that in a very similar way. And so from a privacy related perspective, you know, obviously I'm not, um, a legal expert and, there's lots of you know giant teams of of lawyers at some of these big Fortune 500s that are doing uh, running programs and kind of Web three that are trying to kind of tackle all of this as well. But I would just say that there um, there definitely are. I think, and it all kind of depends on your risk profile, like any lawyer would say. Um, but the approach that we try to take, and I would kind of just advise brands at least, is find tools that uh, think this way. You know, what I mean, that have kind of that that lens and understanding of how web two data privacy kind of in user control and consent kind of grew up and how to apply that in kind of a web three way. And, um, and that's where kind of, I think if you're, you're taking that approach and always kind of thinking at it from the consumer's point of view and how they want to engage and is kind of, are things explicit, um, in terms of how you're going to engage and use this data, um, I think kind of that's like the right the right approach to kind of always take. And just to tap into something you just said, Drew. So, you know, being explicit about what you're doing with the consumer's data. Um, again, thinking about the blockchain and open data sets as an opportunity and not as a threat. You know, blockchains give us a great way for us to actually prove that we did something. And if that something that we did happens to be data analysis, or maybe we used a wallet to create a customer profile, that's something that we can also, uh, we, we can put that on chain. And there's now a record of the analysis. The consumer can actually see very clearly how their data was used and what the output of that data uh, amounted to and how that was used, you know, to maybe provide some more value to them. And so that's, you know, that's one thing about Web2 today that we don't have. Like you were saying, Drew, you go down the, the rabbit hole of, privacy info on your Google profile and good luck. <laughs> it's an endless trail of um, advertisers and data aggregators and ad tech platforms. And getting to the bottom of that as a consumer is really messy, really frustrating, and not generally 
you know, usable by the average person. So there's an opportunity here, I guess, is, is what I'd like to, to share. At this point, I'd like to get into some examples because, uh, well, they're really helpful to understand um, the value of this in a, in a practical matter. And also, I think it's important to get into them because, uh, well, we are now at a point where we have plenty of examples. It's not like three years ago where this uh, didn't even uh, exist, but uh, now there are examples and from prominent companies. So maybe we can get into this. There's actually so, so many um, examples of this that uh, uh, there are actually companies that are in the business of aggregating this uh, information, this, uh, this data and these insights uh, like uh, Dune and uh, Alchemy, for instance. And there are companies, as I said, prominent companies like, for instance, for instance, Starbucks or Mastercard that have used this for their marketing efforts. So, Drew, would you like to talk about maybe these um, uh, data companies, data aggregator companies, and how companies like Starbucks and Mastercard are using them? Yeah, I'd be happy to. I think you know, around one of the kind of fundamental challenges as well with blockchain is like the the way that the data is structured so yes there's so much information around kind of a wallet address but oftentimes it's really hard to actually aggregate and index that data and so kind of i think kind of step one that we've seen around uh you know marketing and kind of customer analytics and data is a just indexing that data and making it easily accessible so you've seen kind of an entire industry specifically around like indexers kind of pop up around, you know, that's Alchemy and Morales and Infura and many others where like they're taking all of the blockchain data on Ethereum and, you know, all of these other chains uh, and indexing it so you can more easily access that data. And so, you know, we build with lots of these API providers and index providers at Holder and many other companies do as well. But like, that's a lot of how we get some of the data and kind of pull it into our system. That's how a lot of at least kind of application layers are using this data as well. Um, the kind of second layer of that, I would say, are some of the companies like Dune and a handful of others, but that are taking that data and then kind of putting a BI uh, tool on top of it. So Dune's you know, an incredible uh, data explorer. You can build dashboards and queries and kind of use um, all of their data to build you know, really robust and interesting kind of reports around um, a specific contract or you know, wallets that are engaging a specific way. And so I think kind of that's like step one is just the aggregation and kind of understanding of all of these analytics and kind of what what happens around this. And one of the one of the biggest challenges there that kind of was like step one, I think, of like infrastructure. A lot of these companies, you know, they were formed pre twenty twenty one hype, you know, um, as well, which I think is something to hit on. Like they've been building kind of for a very long time in this space. Um, the next kind of step, I think, there of like maybe some some example use cases as well is like looking at a lot of the traditional brands and whether they are fully launching, you know, on chain programs and campaigns, or even I know there's lots of brands as well that are just sitting on the sidelines, but are looking at from like a consumer insights perspective um, and purchase behavior and kind of purchase patterns. Like there's an incredible amount of data just from like a learning perspective around what people are engaging with and what they're purchasing uh, from a digital kind of purchase perspective, um, you know, which you can't get in other ecosystems. I can't, you know, understand what people are purchasing in Fortnite, for example, when I'm looking at like other digital ecosystems. Um, but I can look at every single, you know, on-chain wearable collectible that people are purchasing uh, in, you know, Decentraland or, or one of the other kind of like Web3 metaverses. And so, I think this is really interesting. You're seeing a lot of brands like also just use that data for like consumer insights and what are people purchasing? What are purchase behavior patterns? How should we be thinking about 
entering this space or thinking about our our kind of digital economy um, strategy and kind of D to C strategy as a whole. And I think there's probably not a Fortune 500 consumer brand that in some way isn't kind of thinking about or, or doing something in this realm. And then I think kind of the that next step is like fully kind of immersive. And so like just a couple of the ones that I'm um, particularly a, a fan of, um, one would be, I think this gets talked about quite a bit, but I think it's really, really still a great use case is the Starbucks Odyssey program. So Starbucks, you know, has been a premier leader uh, with their loyalty program for for many years, you know they always are on the kind of the forefront of technology. One of the first, like with a mobile app, um, one of the first uh, restaurants um, and kind of in chains with mobile pickup. You know this is like in mobile ordering. This is pre COVID. Um, you know they kind of led the space in in a lot of this kind of technology. Their loyalty program with their stars and and on their mobile app has been leading for for many years. Um, and they decided to launch a standalone loyalty program called Starbucks Odyssey that under the hood is all built on top of blockchain. So all of the all of the points and the stamps are NFTs, but really kind of from a consumer perspective, which is what I admire, all of this is kind of obfuscated out. And it just looks like this is a unique uh, loyalty program, a special loyalty program that I get access to or that I was on the wait list for and got kind of accepted into um, to better engage with Starbucks and learn more about Starbucks's history. And they have kind of lots of this they really view it as um, a game. You know what I mean? In many ways, like I'd say, like if you look at a lot of the language that they use, even like they don't talk about blockchain a lot, but they talk more around like these are, you know, quests. Um, these are journeys that you go down. These are, it's kind of more of like a gamified experience for how to engage with Starbucks. And I, I find this kind of really valuable. And just a couple of the things I think that have made it successful so far. One is, this kind of obfuscation of making it very simple and easy for a customer to uh, onboard without even having to know what a wallet is or what the blockchain is or anything like that. And then the second I think is that from day one, when I created my account, I signed in with my existing Starbucks loyalty account. And so today they now know, you know, however many years I've had a Starbucks account um, and all of the coffee that I've ordered on that Starbucks uh, account is now also tied into my kind of Starbucks Odyssey wallet and kind of program experience. And so they're starting to kind of merge these identities. And you don't really see much of it today being kind of played out. You can only guess where kind of this is going and how they have um, more unified experiences to kind of bring this into the overarching kind of ecosystem of my experience with with Starbucks. And so it's kind of interesting that now I feel like I have like real ownership of like my Starbucks Odyssey stamps and kind of point system um, and kind of comparing that to some of like the traditional Starbucks loyalty stars that I have and the like the value I have of, of kind of the two of those and it's just an interesting kind of um, experience as being kind of someone going through the experience personally but I really kind of applaud what what they've done and got to hear from one of the the founders um, recently at an event that was like working on that program um, speak a lot about it. And it was kind of interesting just how they how they think about it and kind of the the reasons why even they were looking at a program like this um, is is really kind of uh, incredible to kind of look at. There's um there's one more example I would like to to talk about, and uh, I think this one is interesting uh, because of what you said before, Drew, about the death of the cookie because um, it could, in a way, resurrect uh, the cookie. So this is uh, about uh, Reddit, 
and uh, what they've done with their Web3 program. And Nick here has a theory, and I would like to hear the theory, and then maybe, Drew, you, you tell me what you think of, uh, of the theory. So quick recap on the Reddit uh, digital collectible program. So about a year ago, somewhere around then, uh, Reddit rolled out this program where the, the way that Reddit works for anybody who hasn't interacted with their platform, it's a community forum, essentially. And where the real value is, is that you have these subreddits and subreddits are basically subcategories or topics. They're created by individuals and they're actually managed and moderated by individuals as well. So it's a very grassroots community oriented platform. And Reddit last year rolled out um, these digital collectibles that could be used as your avatar. So on their platform, you have a little user image and they paired with, they partnered with artists and collaborators and they created all of these limited edition, uh, digital avatars, just, you know, interesting artwork, fun plays on different themes like Halloween. Um, and they sold these as digital collectibles. And so you could buy them directly through the platform. It was a really great user experience. It still is. They're still doing it. Um, you can purchase those things in the app, you know, which up until the Reddit program was not something that was easily done. Um, and so they've made the UX really, really simple for the consumer. But everybody is kind of asking, okay, why? Why is Reddit creating these digital collectibles? Why are they selling them? Obviously, they're making money on them, but there has to be a bigger strategy here. And so here's my theory. My theory is that Reddit's core value proposition is community. That is what they've built their entire defensible business strategy around are these communities of people. And as the internet gets more open, as we start to go from online to on-chain, we're going to get into a world where some of that def defensibility changes, right? Because your community is now out in the open and they can go wherever they want and you're going from platform to platform with your data. And I think what Reddit potentially is thinking is that these digital avatars become a way for customers to kind of show their allegiance or represent their community outside of Reddit in the broader on-chain ecosystem. So now as I'm going around and I'm connecting my wallet to other places or I'm interacting with other apps or platforms, I have a digital collectible from Reddit. So it's clear that I'm part of that Reddit community and it's easier now for them or other marketers to find Reddit communities outside of the Reddit platform. So my theory is that they're trying to get ahead of this uh, opening of the internet with blockchain data um, and really giving people a way to kind of raise their hand and say, hey, I'm a Reddit user. What do you think, Drew? I, I love that theory. I um, yeah, broadly am just a big fan of the Reddit, the Reddit digital collectibles program and, and the team kind of running it there. Um, yeah, I was just pulling up a, a, a Dune dashboard with maybe we could, we could share in like the the show notes after this too of the Reddit collectible avatars, and it's just kind of it's incredible. Like there are already 15 million uh, holders that have that hold a one of the Reddit collectible avatars. There's over 40 million dollars in sales volume already um, from primary and secondary. And so when I think about traditional brands, it's really funny too because a little bit of uh, a kind of juxtaposition to like early on Reddit um, users and community were very anti Web three, um, right. very anti crypto, and I think you know for for lots of uh, reasons and a lot of around kind of the the stigma of crypto in particular, the ICO kind of boom in twenty seventeen and and kind of uh, fall, and so I think kind of when NFTs started exploding, they were very anti kind of NFTs and Web three, and I think. Um, Reddit's kind of completely turned that around and kind of put their own 
brand spin on it that makes it work with what kind of Reddit already stands for, to your point, Nick. And so I think that when I look at Reddit, they've probably onboarded you know more people than almost any other company into Web3 through these Reddit collectibles and doing so many kind of fun things focused around pop culture and what's happening, you know, with whether it's the um, World Club, World Cup and Super Bowl kind of special edition avatars, but like they're just kind of really touching into kind of culture and what's happening. And I think, Nick, to your point around like a lot of it focuses around kind of identity and my kind of digital identity. And um, Reddit has it's been very more like closed wall identity in kind of the web two era, you know, um, people don't, people associate with kind of a Reddit identity, but it's been a little bit like kind of divorced from their like Twitter persona, for example, or like their Instagram and things like, I don't, you know, um, you don't see people promoting, like go follow me on, on Reddit, you know, um, it's more around kind of that very specific kind of engagement within that subreddit and kind of community that they're a part of, like that's where kind of their identity and brand is. And so I think there's, um, it's an incredible yeah, strategy and kind of, I think we'll see where it goes of like, well, how do you try to extract that out of, of Reddit and kind of bring it into other, other spaces across, um, across the internet. And I think that that's um, a really powerful strategy um, regardless kind of, of where this goes in the future. I think they've really hit on something around what Reddit users, you know, want to engage with when it comes to, um, you know, collectibles, which is really cool. Yeah, the future part is going to be hard. But before we get into that uh, final question, uh, just uh, one comment about the the challenges. Because, well, we've heard about these companies using Web3 already, but uh, I'm sure that there are challenges for for these businesses and others when trying to harness this uh, information and these data insights within the Web3 environment. So maybe, Drew, could you talk a bit about these challenges and maybe ways uh, that could be used to overcome them? Yeah, I think, you know, we've talked about a couple of them. I think one is just like access to this data. You know, how do I kind of with with such a, it's a new type of database. How do I ingest this data and kind of aggregate it all? I think ton of two, another one of the biggest challenges we see teams face is around privacy and governance and kind of the regulatory environment. And particularly that is more kind of like an internal kind of discussion and, and politics kind of, um, challenge for a lot of brands and then kind of the third and this is you know um more into like where where holder we try to play but i think for you know the last however many years it has been um nearly impossible if not impossible to kind of uh connect and message and communicate to customers and so oftentimes you'll launch an nft project or a program and you know who your customers are but it's this you know list of ten thousand. Um, you know, 42 character 0x Ethereum addresses. And so I think oftentimes kind of brands are stuck around like we've launched this campaign and, and we do kind of the the Web3 thing of launching a Discord and, and kind of that side of things. And I think kind of where um, it can fall flat from kind of continued engagement and loyalty that a lot of brands struggle with is like, how do we build a more lasting kind of customer relationship? And so that starts to get more into a sales pitch for Holder. But I think that's just like where, why we exist and why kind of I'm doing this too, though, is I think there's so much opportunity broadly with this technology, with the way that brands can engage with customers in a whole new way. And um, I think we have to think kind of 
really strategically around it as marketers around, well, how do we make this holistic? How do we make sure this is not just kind of a flash in the pan? And how do we make sure this isn't just for PR headlines, but how we make it a holistic part? It's a brand new channel for all of our kind of marketing efforts. And how do we kind of unify that all together? And so, um, yeah, the kind of shameless plug is most recently Holder, um, here at Holder, we launched a, a product called our wallet messaging uh, platform where you can actually send messages directly to a uh, fully anonymous wallet address on the XMTP protocol. And so we are trying to kind of get there to kind of bridge that gap between, you know, brands and their customers so they can directly communicate with them. And I think, you know, we'll see more and more kind of innovation in this space over the coming um, months and, and year. But I think we're kind of in a, a good first step around how do we help just kind of bridge that gap between uh, brands once they have launched a program and kind of those customers to keep that engagement and that relationship kind of ongoing. This uh, wallet messaging uh, feature could be could be very interesting for the reasons you you said, and um, it allows me to give a spin to the last question. So I would like to to ask you about uh, the the future. So if you could send a message to the future, Drew Bitzler, about how he would like to see the um, the shape of uh, of you know. Uh, the usage of a customer data in Web3, uh, what, what would you say? Yeah, it's it's a great question. I think, you know, the future, um, I'm really excited for more and more experiences that are like, how do we build the 10x better, you know, customer experience? How do we find experiences where, um, Nick, you talked about this earlier as well, but a lot of the the crypto technical kind of jargon is extracted out and it's just around, you know, providing unique experiences for for customers that are 10x better than you know what we've had before, and so I think um, as I think about kind of the future of of Web three and where a lot of this is going is is more you know more personalized. That's um, built on more transparency and gives you know consumers more ownership. Um, you know, those are kind of like the the tenants I think where we'll see more and more brands kind of moving with making their marketing, you know, more transparent and owned and kind of ownership driven um, in this kind of uh, new Web3 way. Very well said, Drew. I, I similarly am looking forward to the same things. I think, you know, what's most exciting to me is looking forward to a world that is from a digital perspective, which is where we're face it, we're going to spend more and more of our lives <laughs> online, but where those experiences are fluid, where they're interoperable and we're in the driver's seat um, for how we experience things, how we interact with things. And I think we're, we're on track with this technology and this data to be able to do that. Drew Bitzler, Nick Casares, uh, thank you for being here at uh, Marketing Meets Web3. Thank you. Albert. Thanks so much for having me. This is an absolute blast. Uh, excited for this whole series. And um, you know all the guests in this series are, are all incredible. So I think there's going to be a lot of really good uh, knowledge to take away. So thanks so much for having me. We hope you enjoyed this conversation. In the next one, we will be talking about how seamless onboarding experiences empower customers to take control of their digital assets. To listen to the entire four-part series, visit step.io. You will find a link below. And one last thing, if you enjoyed this episode, consider giving it a like or a share. Thank you.